On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What they both say is that prior to coming to Rampart, they told the line. They followed policy and procedure. Once they got into all the violence and the hurt and the temptation and death row records, they slowly but incrementally crossed the line. That was retired LAPD captain Rich Mraz speaking to the podcast Game of Crimes about Nino Durden and Rafael Perez. Why are his thoughts on a couple of former dirty cops interesting? It's because Mraz was Perez and Durden's captain at Rampart while they were committing all of these crimes. And I want to say something further. We found these clips sort of in the caverns of the internet. And I'm going to say that as the years go by, more and more of these, let's call them LAPD, members of the command staff, I think are going to start talking and start to reckon with a corrupt past. So maybe Mraz is just the beginning of these guys coming forward and telling the truth. If you say the name Rampart to anyone, maybe they've heard and identify it with an immense police scandal inside the Los Angeles Police Department. In this podcast, I believe if you counted, it's been mentioned hundreds of times. And there also is a case to be made that when people say Rampart, they might tell you they know what the story is, but do they really understand and know the various aspects of it? And why coming up on its 30 year anniversary, I felt the need to really go back in time for my own personal knowledge to examine each aspect of it. In the words of famed journalist and author Randall Sullivan, Rampart might be the biggest lie that an American police department has ever spun. But even more importantly, I wanted to undertake this exercise because I have a feeling very soon Rampart will be back in the American cultural zeitgeist with a television special or documentary series. Everyone in TV loves an anniversary. So for me, I'm just getting a head start. The dossier, what I've tried to do is base my reporting and investigating on a roadmap. And the roadmap I want to use for these series of episodes on Rampart is a document titled The Los Angeles Police Department Board of Inquiry into the Rampart Area Corruption Incident. Authored by the illustrious Chief of Police, Bernard C. Parks, on March 1st, in the year 2000. I'll be pulling information from the report, written by the police department itself, to see 
Where are the lies? Where are the contradictions? Where's the spin? Maybe at this point, 30 years post-scandal, the LAPD decided it was time to come clean. Or maybe this report was the narrative that Parks wanted to be cemented in history. We'll find out together some of these answers and more. In late 1997 and early 1998, three incidents occurred in which Los Angeles police officers were identified as suspects in serious criminal activity. The incidents began on November 6 of 1997, when three suspects robbed a Los Angeles Bank of America. The investigation into that robbery led to the arrest of Officer David Mack, who was assigned to West Los Angeles area at the time and his girlfriend, an employee of the bank. The second incident occurred on February 26 of 1998 and involved the false imprisonment and beating of a handcuffed arrestee at the Rampart substation. The officer who beat the suspect was Rampart Crash Officer Brian Hewitt. Two other crash officers, one of whom was Ethan Cohan, were present and acquiesced to the beating. The third incident involved the March 2nd, 1998 theft of three kilograms of cocaine from the department's property division. The investigation into that theft led to the arrest of Officer Rafael Perez, who was assigned to Rampart Crash. The investigation into these incidents disclosed that the suspect officers were closely associated either as working partners or close friends, and all but one of them were assigned to Rampart area. The only exception, David Mack, had previously been assigned to Rampart and was a close friend of Rafael Perez. Due to the seriousness of the criminal activity, commonality among the officers, and potential for involvement of more department employees. Chief of Police Bernard C. Parks formed a special criminal task force in May of 1998 to investigate these incidents. November 6 of 97, at approximately 0920 hours, two suspects entered the Bank of America at 985 West Jefferson Boulevard, posing as customers. One of the suspects pulled a gun and confronted Erilyn Romero, the bank's customer service manager. The suspect walked Romero to the vault area where two other bank employees were working. The suspect pointed his gun at the employees and demanded money that had been delivered earlier by an armored carrier. The suspect then grabbed three plastic bags containing $722,000 and left the bank along with his accomplice. The two suspects ran to a white van driven by a third suspect and escaped before the police arrived. The investigation conducted by Robbery Homicide Division's bank detail disclosed that Romero had ordered the 722 Dow the day before the robbery. Her order was suspicious because it generated a large amount of unnecessary currency in the bank and her order was unusual because 
of the denominations. Romero and the other two bank employees who had been confronted by the suspects agreed to take a polygraph examination. December 9th, 1997, the other two employees were examined and showed no deception as to the relevant questions. Asked on December 16th of 1997, Romero took the polygraph examination, which showed her to be deceptive. During subsequent interviews, Romero admitted her role in the robbery and identified her boyfriend, Officer David Mack, as one of the men who robbed the bank. The LAPD detectives arrested Mack and Romero for bank robbery. On December 17th of 97, the case against Mack and Romero was submitted to the assistant United States attorney who filed a federal complaint charging Mack and Romero with armed bank robbery. During the follow-up investigation, it was determined that Mack traveled to Las Vegas two days after the robbery. On that trip, he was accompanied by two of his best friends, Officer Rafael Perez and another officer, both of whom were assigned to Rampart area. Interviews with Perez and the other officer did not provide any pertinent information regarding the bank robbery. However, their interviews would become significant later as Perez's own criminal activity came to light. At the time of this report, Officer David Mack has resigned from the LAPD. He's been convicted of the bank robbery and was sentenced to 14 years and three months in federal prison. His girlfriend, Romero, received a 26-year sentence in federal prison and was ordered to pay restitution in the amount of $722,000. The investigation continues into the identification of Officer Mack's other accomplices and location of the bank's money. In the evening of February 26 and 98, Rampart crash officers Brian Hewitt and Daniel Lujan detained two 18th Street gang members for alleged CYA parole violations. After searching and handcuffing the two men, the officers drove the suspects to their cars several blocks away where they searched both of their vehicles and confiscated some personal property from one vehicle. The officers transported the men to the Rampart substation and placed them in separate interview rooms. A short time later, Hewitt entered one of the rooms and demanded that the man give him information about gang activity. When the man refused to cooperate, Hewitt choked and beat him until he vomited blood. Lujan and another officer were aware of the beating, but released the man from the substation without reporting it or providing him with medical treatment. The man checked into a hospital and the department was notified of his allegations. Here's some background on the incident from Captain Moraz, who would eventually be dragged into this case and suspended for 20 days without pay. And I also want to thank the Game of Crimes guys for interviewing Rich and putting this information out there. It's important to build and to find people to talk about this stuff 30 years later. A 18th Street gang member by the name of Ishmael Jimenez 
is brought into Rampart Station by an officer by the name of Brian Hewitt. Brian Hewitt was on my radar. I didn't like him. I didn't trust him. Quite frankly, I was after him. He had a lot of personnel complaints, excessive use of force, conduct on becoming an officer. There was never, there was a lot of, there was a lot of smoke. There was never enough fire to actually take him down. I actually had a couple of watch commanders that said, you know what? I don't trust this guy. Um, I, I had, I had taken him out of crash as a matter of fact. Um, and he, and he was working uh, patrol. So we got a call off hours that from a watch commander who claimed that a kid by the name, but a kid by the name of Ishmael Jimenez, his dad came to Rampart Station to make a complaint that our cops had beat him up, and um, and had kicked him out the door after they beat him up in Rampart Station interview room. He wound up going to Central Receiving Hospital. A friend took him, and he said, "Rampart cops beat me up," and uh, and to the point where I was choked, I was hit in the stomach. And I threw up in the interview room. The watch commander who took the complaint went to that interview room and he found a wet spot that looked like vomit in the interview room. And he made the phone calls. He called Nick. Nick called me. Nick said, um, I said, we got to jump on this right now. The officer that was accused of doing it was Brian Hewitt. So I rolled to Rampart Station. I went into the interview room and I yellow taped immediately. And I said, I want that carpet drawn up. I want it analyzed. What is that wet spot? My mindset, to be honest with you at that point, was we knew that a lot of Rampart gang members complained against officers, and that was one way to get them off the street or to make them to back off. A lot of false complaints. So my mindset that is this kid is lying, notwithstanding how I felt about Brian Hewitt, I'm going to back him up 100%. Mm-hmm. If he's telling the truth, I'm not only going to discipline Brian Hewitt, I'm going to permanently prosecute him. The allegation is that this kid was brought in, <clears throat> sat in the interview room while, while handcuffed, C-clamped by Officer Hewitt, and w- to a point almost to unconsciousness, and then would sleep camp him again, wind up hitting him in the gut a couple of times till he vomited. He then left the interview room, and I was told that another officer who we didn't know who he was came in, asked him, are you all right? Uh, You look sick. Released him from the cuffs. The kid said, am I under arrest? He told the officer, said, let me check. I'll get you a glass of water. He left the interview room. He returned shortly thereafter with a glass of water, gave it to this kid, and, and said, you're not under arrest. You're free to go. Follow me. This officer then took him to the front door of the substation, which was at 3rd and Union, where my headquarters were, told him, you're free to go. We'll see you later. Off he went. He was picked up by his buddy, went to Central Receiving. He was so upset, and that's when he made the complaint. A preliminary personnel investigation was conducted during which numerous items of evidence, including blood samples from inside the interview room, were recovered. Administrative charges were brought against all three officers for the beating and cover-up of the incident. Officers Hewitt and Cohan were eventually terminated at separate Board of Rights hearings, but a third board found the other officer not guilty. 
On two occasions, a criminal filing has been sought against Hewitt, but the case was rejected both times by the District Attorney's Special Investigations Section due to insufficient evidence to convict. I'm always traveling, always on the road, and the first thing I do whenever I get settled into a new city is I DoorDash items I know I can't live without. And it almost feels like home. Water, alcohol, a charger from my phone, snacks, food from delicious local restaurants, and breakfast in the morning because you can't cook when you're living in a hotel. DoorDash, your door to more. So download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything from pet food to snacks to neck braces, alcohol, toothpaste, Joy-Con controllers for you gamers out there, pretty much anything. You can get it. You must be 21 plus to order alcohol and drink responsibly. Alcohol is only available in select markets. DoorDash, go download it. Come on, get it done. Immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of Song of Solomon by the legendary Pulitzer Prize winning author, Toni Morrison, a mesmerizing coming of age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead, who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman too will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown to the place of his family's origins, she introduces an entire cast of strivers and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. March 27th of 98, property division personnel notified their commanding officer of a problem with three kilograms of cocaine that had been checked out for the court. Property division records showed that an officer had signed out three kilograms of coke for court on March 2nd of 1998. When the cocaine or a receipt from the court was not returned to the property division, a notice was sent to the officer's command. The officer came to the property division in response to the notice and disavowed any knowledge of the cocaine. The property officer who handled the original transaction was working and verified that this was not the same person who had checked out the cocaine. Here, once again, is former Rampart Captain Rich Moraz talking about the missing cocaine that led investigators to Rafael Perez. Perez finally made a mistake. So this is how it all fell apart. Perez is in court, kind of minding his own business. He's sitting behind two cops that are bragging about who made the biggest bust. 
One of those officers is an officer by the name of Joel Perez. Joel Perez is bragging about the fact that he at one point had made an arrest of a group that resulted in three kilos of cocaine being booked, 6.6 pounds, street value of about $800,000. Perez takes a mental note. A few weeks later, don't know exact month of time, Perez winds up in property division, acting as if he's Joel Perez with all the right paperwork. He wants that evidence uh, for court, even though that case has been adjudicated. Our record systems were terrible. That's how they were able to beat the system back then. Um, he winds up getting in an argument with a record clerk because she's not moving fast enough to bring him his, um, his uh, three kilos of cocaine. They argue back and forth. She goes back and forth to check. He finally gets it. He leaves. Um, he makes the switch. What they would do, by the way, I think I mentioned it, when they took this cocaine evidence out of property division, they would empty the contents and replace it with Bisquick or flour mm -hmm. and book it back in. Um, so this time he dropped the ball. He didn't bring it back in time. He panicked. He didn't know what to do. He was kind of immobilized. He was afraid that if you brought it back the next day, he would be asked for ID. Uh, why did you not return it in time? Uh, he pondered for three days. Uh, what should he do? What's the best thing to do? I'm told that the he decided, leave it alone. Don't even come back. They probably won't find it missing. Unless a random off-the-wall audit is done, they won't find it missing. So he sat on it. Officer Joel Perez, the actual officer, started getting notices that... Uh, Where's the evidence that you took out? A random off the wallet was done and they found it missing. So about four weeks go by, Officer Joel Perez gets some nasty notices, bring back the narcotics you checked out or a personnel complaint will be initiated against you. Um, he kind of round files that notice based on advice from his sergeant. They're all screwed up over there. They don't know what they're doing. So after six weeks, he gets the official notice Personnel complaint has been initiated against you. Um, conduct on becoming an officer. He goes to property division. He's upset. Uh, he's complaining. He's ranting. He's raving. The clerk doesn't know what he's talking about. Goes to check. Comes back. Says, uh, Officer Joel Perez, yes. Serial number 12345, yes. Here's the receipt. You signed out for it six weeks ago. Joel Perez says, can I look at that? Um, he says, yes, you can. Perez says, well, that's my information, but that's not my writing. Somebody forged my name. He goes off again. Uh, clerk calms him down. Just so happens that the female clerk that was working six weeks prior is working in the back. He goes to her. Do you remember this? She says, yes. Uh, what's going on? Who's all screaming and hollering? He says, do me a favor. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Just go. Do you remember what this guy looks like? She says, yes, I do. He argued with me quite a bit. He says, go look. He's got a whatever color shirt on. She goes, she comes back. She's got a shocked look on her face. She says, that's not Joel Perez. The Joel Perez that checked this out six weeks ago is a light-complected back Puerto Rican officer. Uh, and I know a Puerto Rican accent. When I hear it, that rang the bell. Internal Affairs is notified. At this point, Internal Affairs does not know the depth and the breadth and the scope of what they're dealing with. A personnel investigation was initiated, and it was soon discovered 
that there was no reason for the cocaine to be checked out in the first place, as the court case had already been adjudicated. An extensive audit of both property and scientific investigation divisions was conducted to determine if the item was truly missing and if any other items may have been tampered with. This required the auditors to personally inspect over 200,000 items of property and track each item back to the time it was first booked into the property division. The investigation soon focused on Officer Rafael Perez, who was assigned to Rampart Crash. Perez had been loaned to narcotics for six months just prior to the theft and knew about the cocaine. On August 17th of 98, the district attorney filed one count of possession of cocaine for sale, one count of grand theft, and one count of forgery against Rafael Perez. The task force arrested Perez on August 25th of 98, and on December 7th of 98, Rafael Perez's trial began, but a mistrial was declared when the jury became deadlocked 8-4 to four in favor of a guilty verdict. Retrial was scheduled for March 30th of 99. Investigative efforts during and after the first trial produced evidence that Perez was responsible for additional thefts of cocaine from the property division. He was also identified as being closely associated with known narcotics dealers. And some of his past arrestees claimed that he and his partner had planted evidence on them. One of the known narcotics dealers was eventually identified as having gone to Las Vegas with Perez, Mack, and a third officer immediately after Mack's bank robbery. As the evidence mounted, Perez, through his attorney, offered to plead guilty to the charges and cooperate with task force detectives just prior to the scheduled start of the second trial in September of 99, the district attorney and defense agreed to a reduced prison sentence for Perez in return for his guilty plea and cooperation in providing information to the department on corruption activities at Rampart. What I've never done in a fair way is try to understand at a granular level if the LAPD really did make internal changes as it relates to the Rampart police scandal. As a catch-all, hot-button, controversial take, sure, Rampart rolls off the tongue. But did the LAPD learn anything? Did they have an internal reckoning? And how deep did the corruption go? I've always listened to other people around this subject. But that day is over as my personal decision is to take the report from Chief Bernard Parks and come to my own conclusions by talking, interviewing, and investigating to present here. While I try to keep the dossier as current as possible, I have to always talk about one common theme with all of this stuff. In order to understand March 9th of 1997, at times, you got to go back in time and understand the triggers and origin that allowed it all to happen. Stay tuned for more episodes on Rampart as we move forward.